If you take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 103, Ed did such a great job choosing the songs. He's pretty much with singing that song from Psalm 103, pretty well covered the message, but let's go through it a second time and see what God has for us. It was, uh, that's a powerful song. Psalm 103, we're going to look at the entire chapter pretty much or pieces of it, but I want to begin with just verse 13 through verse 22, if you'll follow along. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it's gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will, Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Well, as you're aware, today is Father's Day, and I wouldn't say this is a traditional Father's Day passage, but I do think it has something for us, whether we're fathers or not this morning, and that is addressing the fatherhood of God. And in the process... It's going to call us who are fathers to reflect the fatherhood of God in a number of different ways. Now, I understand Father's Day is not nearly as significant as Mother's Day. We don't spend nearly as much time looking for the perfect gift like we do for our mothers. Uh, We always spend a lot more on Mother's Day gifts than we do Father's Day, and if you don't believe that, The National Retail Federation says spending this year reached an estimated $25 billion on Mother's Day. Father's Day spending was only about $16 billion. So while while it's not quite as exciting as Mother's Day, it it is a day that's worth taking some time to honor our fathers because while those statistics don't show it, And while the current worldview says it's not true, fathers are really important. And good dads are worthy of honor. We're going to look at this passage and see what God is telling us about his fatherhood. Look at verse 13 with me, if you would, and understand what verse 13 means. That's where we started When you see a good dad loving on his children, providing for them, teaching them, guiding them, being tender with them, what you see there is a portrait of God our Father. So a good father is to reflect our heavenly father. Now, we want to make clear the Father, God, our Heavenly Father, is not referred to as a father because he's like earthly fathers. Um, 
he's, don't think of God as your dad on steroids or just a better version. That's not what he's telling us here. He's telling us that good fathers are to reflect the heavenly father in our earthly fatherhood. Remember, God is primarily referred to as a father because he is first and foremost a father within the Trinity. In other words, Jesus is the eternal son, which means God has always been a father. And so God is not like earthly fathers. He says earthly fathers are to reflect his heavenly fatherhood. Now let's jump back to verses 1 and 2. We'll look at verse 2 of Psalm 103. Notice how David begins this psalm. He's talking to himself. And it says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefit. So he takes his own soul and he addresses himself. He, he, David is not content, and I'd say we should not be content either, to merely say words. He wants his mind and his soul to be in sync together. And so what David does is uses his mind his memory, to kindle his emotions, and then he expresses that in this declaration of praise. And I think what God wants to do this morning is for us to pour the fuel on the fire in our soul so that the praise that comes out of us is a genuine expression of what we understand about God, our Heavenly Father that it resonates deep in our soul. And the fuel that he's going to pour on the fire of your soul this morning is the fuel of the fatherhood of God. So whether you're a father today or not, I believe there's a good deal for us to learn about our father, our heavenly father. Let's see what the psalmist has for us. Now, listen, I realize that when I speak about God being our father, that can be a risky thing. Because for some, the word father is not a precious idea. It may be a repulsive word. It can conjure up images and memories and emotions that you'd rather keep suppressed today. See, there are bad dads out there Dads that don't accurately reflect the Father God. And it's possible for us to map our experience with our earthly father onto our heavenly father. And I realize that's a reality for for some people. Or perhaps for you, father really doesn't have a whole lot of meaning because your father was really never there. It didn't have a significant place in your life. Maybe you didn't know your father or he was an absent father, perhaps so passive that it was as though he didn't even exist, never sharing affection with you. And so I realize there's a wide range of experience and thoughts when I say God is our father. But since the Bible speaks of him this way, we as believers must deal with the way God describes himself to us. If you, by the way, fit any of those categories and you think of fathers that way, and if you believe in Jesus Christ, I'm convinced he wants to redeem the word father for you by being the perfect father to you. 
See, the Lord comes and makes us a part of his family, and all of us then can know what it means to have a perfect parent. Perfectly faithful, loving, caring, a dad that is always present, who is always available. See, God has not left us to wonder, what does good fathering look like? He gives us a picture of it in himself and in what he calls us to be as father. And he shows us that in this particular psalm. So if we could this morning, like David, take hold of your soul and just say with David, bless the Lord, O my soul. And here's what he's going to fuel that worship with. First of all, he reminds us that our father is on the throne. Look at verse 19. And in the sound room, can you pull me down just a little bit? I'm hearing a bounce back that's a little distracting for me. Sorry, I hope we're loud enough, but I may be too far in front of the speakers. But Verse 19, that's great, thank you. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. How many of you are glad to know that your heavenly father sits on the throne? The throne of your life, the throne of this world, he is sovereign over all of it. His kingdom rules over not part, but all of it. And that authority of our father, that sovereign rule of our father is delegated in certain ways to earthly fathers to be that, take that authoritative role within the family. Fathers are to protect and to provide. As fathers, we're teaching our children to live under God's authority. If you want one takeaway this morning, dads, on your to-do list, teach your children to live under the authority of God. Teach your children primarily that their lives are directed lives. They're not self-directed. Your life, as long as you live, will be under the authority of God. So your minds will get used to living under authority under direction from somebody else. Currently, that's flowing through you as an earthly father and mother. But ultimately, our goal is that they learn to live under authority, and that's transferred ultimately to the authority of God. He sits on the throne, and he rules over it all. David says, all people, all nations, all government, the weather, every molecule, every galaxy, all of it is under his rule. He's in charge of it all. That's that's your father. That's what he's telling you. You may remember as a child, I grew up with three brothers, four little boys running around the place and terrorizing the neighborhood. But I remember that statement, I'm going to tell my dad. And if you said that to one of the neighbor kids, you knew your dad was sufficient and able to take care of it. Uh, My dad can beat up your dad. Kids are supposed to think of their dads that way. This is telling us that as a Christian, every one of us in this room, every one of us in this room, this is true of us. If you feel threatened, You can run to your heavenly father knowing that he sits on the throne. He is able to do something about it. He controls all of it, not parts of it, all of it. 
So your father has authority over everyone that threatens to harm you. I don't know about you, but that's an encouraging thing for me to know because it can so often feel like other people are in control of my life. That's simply the appearance. This verse tells us that God is the one who sits upon the throne and your father has authority over anything that could possibly harm you, our father sits on the throne. That's the first thing the psalmist is stirring up. Not first in the passage, but the first thing we share this morning, he is on the throne. Secondly, the psalmist shares with us that our father is not just an authority, but he also is the father in fellowship. Our father doesn't just offer us authority and strength and security that safety, he offers us intimacy. Look at verse 13 and 14. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. That word there that gets translated compassion is a warm emotional word that we need to understand. There's a sense here of affectionate care, not just a feeling for us, but affection that moves God to respond. Our heavenly father cares for us. That's what it's telling us. He enters into our joys, enters into sorrows, to pain. He does so with compassion, and he has compassion because He knows us. A lot of us like to hide. We don't want people to know us too well because if they know us, they may not accept us or move toward us. But this is telling us God moves towards you. He has compassion for you. And verse 14 says, he shows compassion to you for a particular reason. It starts verse 14 with four or because. So he has compassion on you because or since he knows your frame. It's a particular knowledge. He knows your frame. He knows you are weak. He knows you're just a human being. God understands that. And Psalm tells us he moves toward us in compassion because of what he understands about us. I don't know about you, But that knowledge of us doesn't stir up in our heavenly father what I would expect. See, you might have had an earthly dad that responded harshly to any weakness. Just don't show any weakness at all. Maybe you were more aware of his criticism than his care and compassion. Maybe your weakness to some degree repelled your father. Well, this psalm is telling us that is not the case with our heavenly father. And I want some of you to hear that because you you, you do feel that your weakness and your sin repulses God and that he moves away from you in that weakness. I want you to understand God affectionately cares for you for the very reason that you are weak. And can I just say, if that's a new idea to you, 
one of the most life-changing books that I've read was Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland because I always had that picture of God in my weakness, just kind of, let's just see how it goes, stand back, a little disappointed. Dane Ortland takes the scripture and makes us aware, no, God's not standing there with his arms crossed. He's in compassion, moving toward us in our weakness, in our faults, in our failings. He has compassion on us. Why? Because he knows we are weak. He knows who we are, our frame. He chooses to have compassion on us. And the good news is nothing can repel him. Nothing in our lives repels him. He, he, you'll never hear him say, okay, I've had enough. And isn't that, parents, isn't that what you feel with your kids? They can break your heart with the way they're living, but you still love them. You still want to move toward them. You still have compassion because you know them. And if that's true of us, as woefully inadequate parents that we are, imagine what God, the perfect father, must feel toward us as his children. He's adopted us into fellowship with him. Now, there's a lot I could say to us just in a practical way about spending time with your kids and giving them the attention they need and being careful you're not too caught up with your phones and social media and the likes. But what I will say to you is don't punish your child by withdrawing from them. The Heavenly Father is saying he doesn't move away from us in compassion. He moves toward us because he understands who we are. Don't punish your children by withdrawing. For some of you, that may be a temptation. You know, you're not the explosive dad that just goes off. But you're the dad who says, all right, that's enough and you get the silent treatment. This psalm is telling us our heavenly father is not that way. So even if your earthly father was that way, don't put that over on God. God is telling us here who he is and what he is like, and he's saying he doesn't withdraw from us. He is moved with compassion, and he moves toward us. He's the father of compassion. Because he remembers, we're we're just sinful dust, and yet he pursues us. He initiates with us. He moves toward us, and so must we as earthly fathers. To withdraw from our kids in order to punish them is not a reflection of the fatherhood of God. Our father is a father in fellowship. Thirdly, he's also the father in gracious benefits. This psalm makes clear that we are weak, we are sinners, but because the Father treats us graciously, we get benefits. I mean, you're not understanding this or you'd be as excited right now as I am about this. What we deserve because of our sin, our waywardness, our weakness, our faults and failings, is punishment and ultimately death, but instead we get benefits. That just, it doesn't make sense. That's why the gospel appears foolishness to men, right? 
until God makes it real to our hearts. David tells us we get the benefits of sonship and we don't get what we ought to receive from our heavenly father. That's really what grace is, isn't it? I mean, it's a little simplistic, but when we get what we deserve, we have justice. Mercy is what happens when we don't get what we deserve. I deserve punishment, but it's withheld. And grace is what happens when we get what we don't deserve. And that's what the psalmist is telling us here. We deserve punishment, but we get benefits. That's, that's a great deal. That's, that's supposed to be attractive to us. We don't deserve the benefits listed in verse 3 through 5. Look at it with me. Here's the benefits you get. Not what you deserve, what grace gives you. Who forgives all your iniquity. My wife leaned over to me during worship. She says, get it out of your system now. I didn't, because when you think about this, think about just this week, the way you've fallen short or sinned against the Lord through not doing what you should or doing things that you shouldn't have. This verse wants to remind us that because he has saved us, we get benefits like he removes our iniquity. Continue to read, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I don't know about you, but I can't read that without realizing I don't deserve that by any means. What I deserve is punishment, is judgment but I get his benefits because he is my father. He's adopted me into his family. So we rebel against him. We disobey. We do things we shouldn't. We don't do things that we should. We love other things more than we love him. But our father doesn't hold a grudge. Our our father makes clear that Jesus died to make us part of his family. He paid a penalty for those sins. He purchased forgiveness with his very life that we celebrated in communion today. And so now forgiveness of sins is one of the benefits we receive. That's who our heavenly father is. He bestows on us the benefits of sonship. No earthly father can offer anything close to that. And as dads, it's true, we should do everything we can to meet the needs of those under our care. Our children should be able to articulate the benefits of having us as their father. Hopefully, dads, you hear some of those things today. We got to celebrate yesterday, we have two daughters, one is in North Carolina, one is in Orlando near us, and so on our way up here yesterday evening, we got to have Father's Day celebration with my daughter, and got to hear some of those things, the benefits that she experienced being my child, 
God wants us to understand the benefits and rejoice in those benefits, receiving what we don't deserve and his withholding what we rightfully deserve. Finally, he shows us our Father abounding in love. Look at verse 8 of chapter 103. After David lists the benefits that we just mentioned, it's like now he just slows down a bit and begins to meditate on the Father's love. And in verse 8, he says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. That word that gets translated in verse 8 as steadfast love is one word in the Hebrew, and it just is often translated loving kindness or steadfast love. It's talking to us about a love that is unfailing, that doesn't stop, it doesn't change. It's a love that is freely given. It's not tied to any human performance. And oh, how the gospel strikes against that particularly the idea of our performance being the basis by which God relates to us. He wants us to understand, no, his love is steadfast, not dependent on you. God doesn't want us or intend for us to relate to him like the boss who is cordial in his relationship with you as long as you're performing perfectly. This love, steadfast love of the Lord toward us, is not tied to our performance. It's tied to his divine choice. In other words, the simplest way I know to say it is God loves us because he chooses to love us. So because he loves us this way, he will not treat his children according to their sins and iniquities. Look at verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. I don't know if that one is on many of your bathroom mirrors, but it ought to be because we regularly respond to God as though he is treating us according to our sins and what kind of week I had this week. This psalm is telling us God is not like that. He does not treat his children according to their sins or repay us for our iniquities. God loves us in spite of all of our flaws. Verse 10, as far as the, uh, verse 12 rather, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. How many of you are grateful for that? As far as the east is, the idea is infinitely, right? How far is the east from the west? So he removes those sins and iniquities, not a little bit from our lives, but completely. That's the idea. Our father has taken our rebellion, our pride, our idolatry, our failure to obey him, and he removes them from us. Why? Because he chooses us to be his children. Do you understand you'll never be repaid according to your iniquities if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior? 
did your earthly father give you what you deserved? And so you're kind of on that performance treadmill. Just if you perform well, you you feel pretty good. But if you don't, maybe your father lets you know every time you did something wrong. It was you 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 received more criticism perhaps than praise. I want you to understand you cannot translate that to our heavenly Father. This psalm is telling us we will never get what we deserve because Jesus has already gotten what we deserved. The eternal wrath of God. The eternal wrath of God that we deserve. It fell on someone else instead. And so it's already been paid for. So you'll never have to pay for those sins or iniquities again. Church, does that cause something to spark inside of you? Does that do for you what it did for David? See, David is stirring up. He's pouring fuel on the fire in his soul. And he's doing it with the fatherhood of God. This is who our God is. Does it cause you to want to just bless him? To just praise him? That's what it does for the psalmist. I'm going to ask Ed and the band if they'd make their way. And let me just close while they're getting settled here. What what do we do in response to this psalm that relates to us about the fatherhood of God? Well, here's what David did. Look at verse 20 through 22. Here's what David does. He runs through this account of all the benefits and who God is, his wonderful fatherhood. Verse 20, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. What does David do? The only thing he can do after recounting, pouring this fuel on the fire of his soul, all he can do now is worship. He worships. He goes from this personal call in verse 1 and 2 where he takes his soul and says, bless the Lord. He recounts all of this and then he ends with this cosmic call, not to just his own soul, but to all of us, to all of creation, to all the mighty things, all the works that God has done. Let all of that just worship him. So he spreads this call to worship As far as it'll go, everything, every person in creation, bless the Lord who is strong and compassionate and he is a gracious, loving father. What else is there for us to do in light of these truths but to bless the Lord? And while on Father's Day, you could bring a lot of individual application on how to be a better father, There's one thing I would say as as we go this morning, and that is love our children in a way that reveals the Father's love to them. I would say the most loving thing you can do for your kids is to let them hear and see 
you bless the Lord, just like David's doing here. Let your children see that. The most loving thing you can do for your children is to let them hear and see your affection for the Lord. Because in blessing the Lord from your soul, you're pointing your children to the greatest person in the universe and showing them he is worthy of all of their affection. So while there are many applications we could make on reflecting the fatherhood of God, I would say let your children see and hear your affection for our heavenly father. Father, I pray that the truth of your word would impact our soul and that this fuel that has been poured upon our soul would express itself now in worship and praise in Jesus' name, amen.